Hi, I'm Dr. Rebecca Pratt, and I am blessed. Hi, everyone. My name is Maida. And Dina. And this is another episode of Humans of OUWB. Yes, we're back. It's been a while, so we hope you all are doing well. For our next guest, we have one of our beloved professors, Dr. Rebecca Pratt who has an incredible story and we feel so fortunate that she took the time to really open her heart up to us. Yeah, in this episode, we obviously talk about her upbringing and childhood, but what really struck us was a conversation around heartbreak, around losing one's voice and what it means to find that voice again. We talk about spirituality and faith and how that all can be tied into the obstacles that we all face in life. For so many of us, we have felt the pain of heartbreak or losing oneself and not really knowing where in the world we belong. And whether you have a spiritual practice or believe in a higher power, I think that there will be something from this episode that really resonates with you. So we really hope you enjoy. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on, jumping on with us and taking the Mm -hmm. time. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but MSK starts next week. So yeah, next things, week. Things have oh, been a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the last time we saw you, Doctor Pratt. Like, how has how, how have, have things been? How things yeah. been? How what's changed? Well, we don't need to go down the COVID train, but um, <laughs> I will tell you, meeting the first years, not really meeting them, is tears at my heartstrings. Cause that's what I loved was lab with you guys. I mean, that's when I met you. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. met you basically at a, your vulnerable state, which was mm-hmm. what am I doing here? This is my first semester of a medical medical school. I have strangers around me. And then all of a sudden I come in and I'm just full blown like, ah, this is so cool. <laughs> this is so great. I love but, your, um, like your enthusiasm. Yeah. You're like one of my favorite professors. Yeah. Cause I, I could tell how much you loved what you were teaching. Yeah. How passionate you are. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, I finally, it took me a really long time to recognize the fact that if I'm not having fun myself, Mm -hmm. that this is going to be a really long drawn out career. (laughs) And if I can't wake up and be like, oh, I hope I inspire one person today. And if that one person is only me, (laughs) then so be it. You know, I mean, that's sort of what I have to do. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the path leading up to like you choosing this profession? Totally totally not great for the a type that I try to play off that I am Mm -hmm. I look back and my route was so circuitous I mean I liked biology I but all those routes I took all those crazy degrees in zoology and botany and marine biology and then suddenly what I stumble into oh yeah the very obvious biochemistry because that's what you usually do when you do do all of those natural outdoor (laughs) you go to a biochemistry degree where you're like um, can we change the lights in the lab so oh. that I get a little bit of a tan? I'm not <laughs> gonna get the tan that I normally get when I'm outside because all my other degrees I was like in a tank top. Yes. So yeah. not so much when you're doing cell biology and biochemistry as a PhD. Um, and that's when I first did anatomy. It was more or less the fact that I guess it never really dawned on me that it was always structure that I liked. I mean, even in mm. botany. I mean, botany was always about all the botany courses I took was about either forest structure or ecosystem or how something interplays with something else. So that whole dance between structure and function 
was kind of this underlying thing that I never really figured out until like maybe a couple of years ago is that's what drives me is, is looking at something and going, oh, well, the world's on this bark mean this tree. So the same way that I would be able to determine which way the liver is, because I know where the caudate and the quadrate lobe is. So then I'd be able to position it if I had it in my hand. So it's like, it's picking up landmarks. It's picking up details. It's picking up again, structure so that I can relate a name to it. And that's really was like, oh, maybe I actually have a skill set. So when I started teaching, well, you know, I mean, I'm just as much as like everyone else that is their own worst critic. So I was mm -hmm. like, all right, well, we'll give it a try. So you make that decision in life where you got to figure out what stage you're going to be on. You know, are you going to leave, leave where you are because you want the big research lab, you want mm -hmm. the postdocs, you want the students that are going to be looking to you for mentorship on their PhD, or do you leave that stage and sort of take a backstage approach to your, what you thought your life would be and find that you have another talent. And that's was sort of the first three years out of my postdoc was thinking that maybe teaching is what my talent is hmm. because I enjoyed so much being actually more on the backstage and watching the students take the light than for me to leave where I was um, to go to a medical school and kind of pursue bigger things. But what I ended up pursuing was smaller things for me, but bigger mm -hmm. things for students like um, international travel for my medical students, getting them out there and getting them to meet people, taking students to conferences with me so that they could meet the people that had made a difference in my life. And all of that, I mean, just talking about that now I get goosebumps. Like that to me was, mm -hmm. you know, when you figure out, it's like as a kid and somebody asks you what you wanna be, sometimes you oscillate between options and you, you realize that some are going to be a hobby and some are going to be your career. Mm -hmm. and there's going to th be things that you love that you don't want to give up. Those will become your hobbies. Like I love mm -hmm. marine biology. I love research, but they're now my side hobbies mm -hmm. because what really is my career, what really gets me up is teaching. Mm -hmm. So then I had to find a job that was going to promote what I do and that's tough in academia. That's yeah. tough to find, um, to find that people who love giving people the power to be amazing um, is something that they wanna like have their school stress. So I always say my, my goal is to make myself obsolete, to give you so much of what I have mm -hmm. that you don't need me anymore. You know, yeah. that you can be like, oh, sweet. I got some of this from Dr. Pratt going to put it in this bag and off I go on my journey. And if I need to unpack a little bit to use a little bit of Dr. Pratt, okay, I, I got it. I can, you know, unpack it for this case or I can pack it back up if I need it. But that's it. Like I've, I've exhausted myself because I don't have anything else because you're just building upon that as you mm -hmm. move forward. And that was it. I mean, that was what I needed. And that's really interesting that you said the, the word obsolete. Um, have you ever read the book 40 rules of love? Mm -mm. It's, um, it's a book about the the relationship between Rumi and Shumps of the Breeze. We everybody knows Rumi, but nobody knows Shumps of the Breeze, who was his teacher, his mentor. And so Shumps of the Breeze was this like wandering dervish who like just went from place to place. He was a, a nomad, didn't stay in one place, but he picked Rumi to be his pupil. And he taught him all he knew about the world and life and and God and spirituality and whatnot. And then at the end he leaves. 
he's gone. And Rumi is like, so distraught. And it's like, how, how can I ever part from you? And he's like, that's it. I like, I have to go. I'm no longer part of your story. Now you have to carry on your story and pick your pupil and pick your student. And then that student's going to move on. And so so now I'm going to yeah. cry. Do people cry at podcasts? <laughs> I don't know, but that podcasts? book made me cry. So, and it's so interesting that you said that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's a great goal. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, there's all the other drama that comes with academia that gets us all fired up. I mean, get us in a faculty meeting and we're ready to, to, you know, throw down. <laughs> and then you, and then you ask us questions like this and we're like, well, I guess this is what I really get up in the morning to do is to have conversations like this and to get mm-hmm. people excited about the fact that they chose medicine and how selfless of a decision that is. I just look up to you guys like, wow, you're going to be going into a career that is absolutely not about yourself at all. And that's just beautiful. I mean, it really is. So it's interesting that you say that and speak highly of us because listening to you, I was thinking the same exact thing. I was like, oh my God, that's so selfless. Like yeah. teaching in itself is a profession that is selfless for you to sit there and be like, I'm going to lead them and I'm mm-hmm. going to let them shine and watch them be successful. And that's all that I want to be happy. Like that is the most selfless yeah. thing that yeah. you could even say. I'm just curious, I guess now, like, was there something in your life or like someone in your life that did that for you? And so maybe that was the spark that you were like, I want to be this for someone else. Or do you feel like it was kind of personality trait that you've always had? It's funny. I, if again, one of those things where if I were to have looked back at what I wrote in third grade about what I want to be when I grew up, it probably was like a librarian, but um, <laughs> it probably wasn't anything because I was going to defy all the teachers in my life. I come from a family of teachers. So oh, okay. you come by it somewhat naturally. Uh I will say that it's your connections you make in life that get you where you're going to go, whether it's a teacher, whether it was somebody at a conference, whether it was somebody that overheard you at a bookstore and you had a great conversation, you end up becoming partners and and going on an amazing life journey together. I mean, whatever it is, it's connections. So I would not be where I am. I wouldn't even made it to Purdue for my PhD if it wasn't for the dean of my school in undergrad at Michigan State who called me and said, I've got an opportunity you ought to interview. And I'm like, yeah, again, biochemistry, like (laughs) this girl with a tan ain't going to go do no biochemistry. (laughs) So I mean, but if it wasn't for her phone call while I was living in South Carolina, I wouldn't have even thought of going, why would I go to Purdue for a PhD? And that's when she said that they're looking for someone to train in vet med and maybe even in human. And I'm like, oh, so, I mean, it was just one of those connections. But um, so I do have to say that I've had a lot of mentors throughout my life that have been amazing. But the teacher that I think was the most inspirational to me was my grandfather. He was a music teacher. My language is music. I have it on all the time. Mm-hmm. In the morning, turn it on, whether it's classical, which is what I was raised on, or, um, you know, Mumford and Sons. I mean, whatever it is. Yes, I love Mumford going, and Sons. <laughs> something going on in the background. But my grandfather taught voice, and then he decided that he was going to give up every summer and take high school kids, high school kids who, who maybe had never even left Ann Arbor, Michigan. Mm -hmm. and said, you need to educate yourself on those that are different than you. And the way we will do this is we will speak a common language. And that is music. Wow. Mm. And you will learn their music. 
you will learn their, you know, their, what their country is most proud of. And you will perform that music. And then we'll perform our music from our country. And we're going to do this. And he got funding from the Youth for Understanding Exchange Program that probably I don't even know if exists anymore, way back Mm -hmm. in the 70s. And off they went. And we're not talking like two weeks in Spain. We're talking like months out of a suitcase traveling all over the world. I mean, they went to Brazil and Argentina. These kids don't speak Spanish, Mm -hmm. but they had to learn that common courtesy that we that everybody demands and everybody deserves, you know, that common courtesy of I will do my best, even though I don't understand you, I do understand common courtesy. And mm-hmm. so they lived with these families, they performed concerts like every other day, wherever they could sing. He, wow. he set up like a place to sing. And he did this for years. And um, when he passed away, one of the most amazing things that really was like, this is what my journey is all about they had, we had a kind of a wake for him. And I stood there in the line, you know, of my dad and my aunt and my uncle, um, his kids and me. And they were like, you're the granddaughter of Robert Pratt. I'm like, yeah. And they were like, can I shake your hand? I'm like, yeah. You know, I mean, I was like, oh, I'm in my thirties, you know, I'm like, okay. And it was just like, they wanted to meet this, the, you know, this legacy of the person that had taken them you know, I mean, like I said, for some of these people, singing was all they had. Mm-hmm. They raised all their money and they traveled the world and put themselves in awkward situations to learn more about themselves and who they are through music. I mean, I can't mm-hmm. think of anything cooler than mm-hmm. that. And so when these people came, they came from South Africa, they came from Europe. They came from all over the place to sing for my grandfather's funeral. And that's how my parents met each other. So um, they were on a corral together (laughs) Um, So in high school. Um, But they just, that's when I sat back and said, if I could do 184th of what my grandfather did, Mm -hmm. I will have led a successful life. His gift to other people was so selfless. Mm-hmm. And so beautiful at the same time, because it was just an opportunity to say, we are all human. Yeah. And, I mean, that movement that he started, we still need. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I wish he was still around. I wish that he could see that I've put in 17 years of trying to sort of emulate his style. But I'm sure he's looking down on you very yeah. proud. Yeah. yeah. So teaching is something that I think has always been there. I just had to listen. (laughs) Have you ever gone to the West Coast, Dr. Pratt? Because it seems like you may be a West Coast gal at heart. (laughs) With the beach background? Oh, okay. Not biased at all. I've been out there lots. Um, I've been out there lots. That's a whole nother story about me chasing a surfer guy. But yeah, I never did move out West. I interviewed, the farthest out West I interviewed was in El Paso, Texas. God forbid no water there. Yeah. Um, And then I interviewed at um, Midwestern in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Actually, I turned down the Arizona job to take the Oakland job. Really? Uh, What sold you? It was just not right in my life. I've gone through some pretty major changes since you guys last were on the uh, OUWB campus. (laughs) Um, Oh, gosh. So those life changes have, were sort of, the wheels were turning and I knew I needed to move, but I wasn't, the divorce wasn't really 
there yet. And so I needed to stick around for family and sort of go mm. through the divorce process in close proximity to my spouse um, instead of just going to Arizona and then having to go through a divorce later on, you know, so plus my family, my little sister's here. Oh, so, and she's got kids and I'm the godparent. So I know you, you talked a little bit about the divorce and how difficult it was. Do you feel like you're in a better place now? How was that whole process? Um, it's still pretty raw. And, um, I, this was when I was looking through some of the questions, I was like, Ooh, how much are they going to want on this one? <laughs> so to be very vulnerable and, and honest, I have not ever done anything in my life for myself. So the PhD most certainly was not because I wanted it. It was mm. because I know it would make my parents proud, mm-hmm. you know, going in, in, in doing jobs and getting awards that was for my grandfather. I mean, yeah. that absolutely was. And it came to the point where my natural voice, my Rebecca voice was silenced because I just kept pushing her down and doing what everybody else like, well, you're supposed to, you know, get a job and then you're supposed to move and graduate, you know, go from teaching undergrad because I started teaching an undergrad and then you're supposed to start teaching PA and PT. And then you finally progress to medical school and then you progress, you know, to osteopathic and then you, you know, then you do this and then you're going to be a Dean. And I'm like, okay, the way you do, you know? So that's what I thought I needed to do. And unfortunately my spouse got caught in the moment when I realized that if I don't start speaking, I am going to die inside. Mm -hmm. I was getting to the point where if I don't start saying, you know what, I I don't want to go here. I don't want to move here. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was absolutely the most right, perfect person right when I needed him. And I don't deny that at all. I am so glad I got married. I am so glad we found each other. I'm so glad that at that moment in time, my first job, you know, I needed to meet him and he needed to be that light because I was in a really dark place after my PhD. I just sort of crashed. You know, you just, you strive so hard and fast for something. And then all of a sudden you get it and you're like, well, now what do I do? Yeah. Got a piece of paper, like, all right, great. Um, so he was perfect for what I needed. And he still is. He's a wonderful individual. But as I grew more about understanding who I was and what I needed, it's like the more I tried to love him, the more I was not loving myself. And it just became like this tearing. So it was like, my spouse needs this. My spouse needs this loving. He's, um, you know, words of affirmation. He's physical. T- I've learned all the love languages. He is like, mm-hmm. I got to do all these things. None of which love languages spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And it came to the point, and this is the worst word you can ever learn in a relationship resentment. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't that he did anything bad. He just, we just grew mm-hmm. in different directions. And uh, we were both drowning um under words we never said, you know, Mm -hmm. we had just accumulated all these words that we needed to share with each other about this sort of Mm -hmm. pulling. And um, we're both, oddly enough, introverts. Um, So we just sort of kept our words and Mm -hmm. literally drowned. I mean, years of not talking. Mm -hmm. And that's when we lived in the same household before I even moved out and commuted an hour and a half. So when you guys knew me, I was commuting from East Lansing 
I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't wow. know that either. So, um, yeah. What led to that moment of you being like, okay, I need to move out. Like I need, we're living in the same space and we're not talking and I, I need to uncover what I'm feeling and what I'm going through on my own. Well, it would, would have been really great if I was mature enough to do it, but I hid under a job again. You know, mm -hmm. I hid under, well, this job is, you know, I started putting in more and more hours at mm -hmm. Michigan State and letting it just eat at me. And so that became my cover. Mm -hmm. Oh, Michigan State, so tired, working a lot. Oh, I'm going to hide under the cover of my job and get another job. So I interviewed at different mm -hmm. places and that's, and they were all out of state except for Oakland. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it would be like, okay, if I get another job, that's my out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm still, I'm still in that process. I just, you mm -hmm. know, I'm mid forties and I still haven't figured out that it's okay to just open that lid and speak. Yeah. be like, you know what? It isn't working. It's not mm -hmm. your fault. It's not my fault but this, this, and this, no, no, here I am. And it's like, oh, great. So I hit again. But it's hard though. Yeah. Like it's hard to, it's one thing to like own up to it in your, in your internal mind of like, okay, well I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving, and I'm not feeling like I'm filling my own cup, mm -hmm. but it's another to outwardly acknowledge it, especially to someone yeah. that you respect and love so much. I mm -hmm. think that that's incredibly hard. I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think it's cowardly at all to be like, I'm going to hide behind a job. I think that that's just the human thing to do, especially for someone like you, that's a, such a giver and so selfless. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, maybe you just were not ready for a confrontation or you weren't ready to like kind of let things open up, yeah. you know, and let things pour out. Oh, I was just gonna say, if I, if I had though, I think mm -hmm. that that would have caused altercation at first, which mm -hmm. is, was going to happen and needed to happen, have, mm -hmm. you know, just the blow up that was building for so long, I think it would have probably been better because then what my spouse was caught off guard with is where did this come from? You know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, if we're building and building and building and I'm not sharing and I'm staying hidden under my job um, because I, I am a workaholic, I, I recognize that and everything I do goes into my job. If I could have just pulled myself away out for that moment and had a human talk with another human about just being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't want to blame myself, but I wonder like if I would have been able to have been adult enough to been chatting with him about all of this, if he would have recognized that it is the best for both of us. I don't think that my feeling has ever been betrayal or hurt and yeah. maybe it'll come, you know, there's just like there's stages of grief. Mm -hmm. there's, mm -hmm. I mean, and this is kind of grief too. I'm losing a relationship. I'm losing someone that I've had for 15 years. And yeah. so it's like, that is a loss. And I haven't gotten to the, to the bar bargaining or the, you know, the anger mm -hmm. stage yet. I'm mm. still in the, the, if, if I would have done this, if mm -hmm. I would have, you know, oh, if only I had given this, you know, gift or if I had whatever, you know, yeah. sort of maybe that's kind of the bartering stage too, but it sounds like it's all yeah. self-directed. It sounds yeah. like you're very hard on yourself, Dr. Pratt. Of course, we're all A-type. <laughs> How do you think we get into this whole medical school world? We're all A-type nutballs. <laughs> you know, we're the worst critic and I'm trying to, to, you know, do the self-love and I'm so much better. I mean, I, oh my goodness, so much better now. I would say in the last couple months, 
What do you think has helped you the most? Is it just positive affirmations or is it like changing perspective? Getting closer with my faith Mm. actually really, really helped. Um, I mean, I'm close with my family. They would, they would drive. I mean, they drove to South Carolina to pick up my cat once. Okay. And they, they (laughs) so, I mean, we're, we're very close knit family, but I don't share, you know, again, Mm -hmm. my introvert side keeps everything Mm -hmm. quiet. So, um, we're not, we're not close in that sense. So it wasn't like my family was really helpful through this, but my faith was something that I needed because regardless of you know, where you are on your own spirit and faith journey, I needed to recognize that there was something, God, Allah, whatever that, that wants me to be good mm-hmm. and that has good things planned for me. Right. And um, you can't do that if you're a piece of junk, you know, mm-hmm. you can't fulfill a promise that God is, has for you if you're just sitting around hating yourself. Right. And so it's been one of those things where it's like, wow, um, I'm not a piece of junk. I do make mistakes, but all of that is in the eyes of someone who is greater than me. Mm-hmm. And they haven't cashed me out to the side or, you know, told me to, to never come back. They still forgive my silly mm-hmm. humanistic, you know, ideas and, and mistakes. Yeah. So in that sense, when you recognize that all of this is really just you putting this pressure on you and somebody greater than you is forgiving you, you start to change that balance. You know? I'm going to start to yeah. cry now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is, at least for me personally, like we've, we've had these yeah. same talks yeah. where I think that when you're so self-critical, I feel like it's so hard to get to that point. Because I'm like, I feel undeserving of, of the, the blessings love, of or the, the blessings yeah. or, yep. you know what I mean? To get to the point where you recognize, hey, this is you self-sabotaging and there's a higher power out yeah. there that still thinks that you're worthy. Yeah. That is like the most, like I have goosebumps just thinking about it, mm-hmm. but it's hard. It's hard it's in hard. the moment and to get there. Notes on my closet doors, <laughs> yeah. me, like you're talking about words of affirmation. <laughs> yeah. It was like a rainbow world in mine, you know, and I would have to get dressed and I would work my way down the panels of my closet and I would read. One would stick, maybe none of them would stick that day. Yeah. Maybe a couple of them were like, okay, those are the really good ones. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after three or four months, peel off those and put up new ones and mm-hmm. save some ones. They're all in a, a book that I have all posted, noted down. Yeah. Um, but what you were mentioning, I have a plaque. I can just see it over my computer. It says, before you were born, you were set apart. And I was like, okay, that's what I just need to keep reading. Yeah. You know, I think it's like, we have all these regrets and these what ifs, right? Like if I had only done this sooner, if this had went smoother, if I had said this in this situation, it's like, it's all happening in exactly the way that it's Mm -hmm. supposed to, like it's unfolding in the timeline that it's unfolding. And so like for you to come to a realization at the moment that you did, that was the perfect moment for it, for you or for that. Right. We may not be able to see the the divinity in it or like what it's supposed to mean in the bigger sense, but like, I don't think anything happens out of the timeline. Mm. Your story is your timeline. It's interesting too, is, you know, I, I used to get really frustrated with that ability to 
not get angry when so many things were crushing, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, yeah, sure. I would love to go through a divorce and a pandemic. And oh, by the way, live in a hotel room for six months because I'm being screwed by a construction company that won't finish a job after my entire toilet flooded shit all over my house. And I mean, I taught AFCP. So that was the fall of 2019 out of a hotel room driving from a hotel room every day and going into the house, crawling up my stairs, getting like a week's worth of clothing and underwear, coming to the hotel room and living there and then going back. I mean, you're like, why, why am I doing all, like, what am I having to learn? You know, how many mm-hmm. times is the universe going oh my to God. throw something at me before <laughs> I am like, my friend, my friend, Kara was so funny. She's like, um, you're dense Pratt. Mm-hmm. So clearly the universe is trying to change your course. Pratt. The universe will give you the same <laughs> lesson over and over and over and over again until you learn it. That's just how it is. That is like, I just feel like there'd be like a rock that would hit the side of my head. And yeah. I'd be like, All right. Well, you know, and the next thing you know, like somebody else flicks another rock and I'd be like, yeah, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> if it makes you feel better. I am the same way. We I've had the are. same lesson for the last three years. And I'm like, am I going to ever learn? I don't know. The universe will keep, keep throwing it no, at it me. It circles though. back. And it's like, you think it's different, but it's no, like it's all the same lesson. You just mm-hmm. have to be able to pick it apart. Dr. Pratt, I just want to take a moment. I think that you are so incredibly strong. And I hate that word. Yeah. I hate strong and I hate resilient, actually. I actually get what you're saying because right? I feel like the more that I'm hearing like people's stories and the more that I'm hearing their struggles, it's like, no, I don't, I don't think we're resilient. I think we're just human. I think this is just part of surviving. Uh Like I think everybody is just surviving. And I think it's good to applaud people for doing that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you're not doing anything special. You're just living. This is all just part of life. To give you a backstory and for those listening at home, the last episode that we recorded, we talked about our discomfort with the term resilient. I think it's used way too much. I think we romanticize Mm -hmm. this idea of resilience. We romanticize these hardships that people go through and we put them on a pedestal for being like, oh, you overcame this much and therefore you are greater than thou. And you know, you've struggled, we've struggled. I I think there's beauty in the struggle, Mm -hmm. but I hate the fact that it's often tokenized. But what I meant to say by like, you're strong is that I think that it takes incredible courage to wake up every morning and to go through everything that you went through and to put a smile on your face for your students. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it is. I think that's what it is. And not have a single like crack in your armor. And I know that that takes incredible strength to be able to do that. And that I'm sure going home and like letting that down. Yeah. Or not and letting it <laughs> run through your head for hours upon hours, yeah. you know, and then you get somebody that says, well, you'd be fine if you didn't take, if you didn't have so much passion, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I remember hearing that and I get it. You know, my passion is, is a blessing and a curse. I, it gets me to speak out at a faculty meeting. It gets me to want to get in in front of someone and just be like, God, I want it so bad for you. Why don't you want it too? Like I just come on this journey, stop digging your heels in, you know, like Mm -hmm. let's do this. Mm -hmm. And I get, I get in trouble and certain people can handle it and certain people can. And I don't always have the best judge of who is and who isn't able to, to handle all that I am. But I, man, if I lose that, I don't know what I am. 
exactly. I don't know what I am. I, and I think that's where that strength is, is if I don't have that passion, I don't know if I can get up the next day mm-hmm. and go after it again, because it's exhausting. I mean, you guys have gone through all of yours and you look back and you're like, how did I even get up every day? It was exhausting, mm-hmm. but I can't, I just can't lose it. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to pinpoint that one thing that is your anchor, right? Like whatever is going to keep you centered and grounded, even when everything else is falling apart and to be able to identify that and be like, this is one thing I can't compromise on. Cause I think that's something that I feel like we struggle with sometimes finding that balance of being like, okay, am, am I being too much right now? Should I, if I just mellow down a little bit, if I become complacent in this one situation, will things pan out better? And I don't know. I think that at, at seesaw, right? Like you're like, I don't know, like you lean a little bit this way and then you lean a little bit back and it's a constant balance of trying to figure out what your actual anchor is going to be. If it's going to be external, is it going to be internal? And mostly it's internal. Like you can't focus on external anchors for yourself. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. It's in the, you know, all the, all those words of affirmation that we were discussing where they talk about being yourself and it, you know, it looks great on a cat poster, you know, mm-hmm. or the dog yeah. is like, yeah, be yourself. Everything's great. Um, but I, I have to, cause the moment you disregard that true compass. And I think that's what, when it really hurts is when people go after that compass, that passion, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was and in 2019, I had all this other stuff going on and they go after my compass and I am like already grasping at straws at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And then my compass just gets ripped out from me. I mean, that's what it felt like if, you know, when they, people talk about having your 12 year old self taken from you, you know, you're sort of that compass. Um, And that was bad. And um, the bully just kept coming after me with just punches to passion, my passion and and questioning my, who I was and, you know, what my desires were. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're telling me that maybe I shouldn't teach like, are, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is what I get up for and do every day of my life. And if I don't inspire someone, I'm a mess. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I went through that almost all the way until this past summer. I mean, trying to get through teaching when I knew that there was someone out there that honestly felt that I was a fraud and that I shouldn't do what I'm doing. Again, it looks silly now to think back and be like, wow, I let one bully get into me. But I'll tell you, when they know the right little doors and latches mm-hmm. and little nooks and crannies to find their way in, God, I don't wish that on anyone. It is horrible. I mean, it is horrible to have everything that you want out of life being told you're a fraud about it. I mean, it was just terrible. How did you combat those feelings of someone trying to attack you and impose their idea of you being a fraud because I think that that's such a relevant and huge issue mm-hmm. for even you know students at home right like this idea of like imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome I think a lot of what drives really smart driven selfless people like the people that I'm looking at right now okay like who drives us is because we're always after the next cookie mm-hmm. the next sticker on our poster the, you know, the next thing, what am I going to do? Okay. I got to get through this semester. No, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to get through this exam and then I can Mm -hmm. do this and then I'm going to get through this and then I can become this. And I dismissed so many successes in my life for the next thing. And I dismissed them very quickly. And that's one of the biggest cycle spins of the imposter syndrome 
mm-hmm. is to not let yourself taste the sweetness of that success. Mm-hmm. And in, as soon as you get that success and you go on to the next round of this cycle, you will continually never feel success because you've never actually truly felt success. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a long haul at things like, wow, I just got really good stats on one of my questions. Stop the world, go and have a piece of chocolate because you just got good (laughs) stats on one of your MSK questions. You know, I mean, but Mm -hmm. it may start out just that small. And it was for me, like you gave a really good summary at the faculty meeting today. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got this. I got, I did some good feedback. All right. Mm -hmm. A student said hi to you in the hallway today. Okay. <laughs> you know, and so you, you have to taste it. You have to actually feel it. And whether that means you, I mean, I literally was giving myself like self hugs. Like you just got said oh. hi to in the hallway, go up to my office. I just got said hi to, oh my gosh, I am going to do this. I am going to make it through. Somebody acknowledged me or some friend checked in, or I got a cool card in the mail. You know, I found a coupon and I went shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond and I got something for myself. I mean, something that allows you to have a feel of it. Mm-hmm. That's how I came out because I had to stop. It was spinning so fast that, I mean, I was spinning down at a point where I'm already going through not having a house <laughs> and not, you know, having a husband. And I said, this is not good for me. And yeah, it was really dark and suicide is a, is a disease because it gets into your head and it makes mm-hmm. you think that that's the only way out. And mm-hmm. that's an amazing voice. And for those that have overcome that, awesome. But the road back is not easy. It does take those little feels um, to stop the cycle. And it's interesting that you guys mentioned imposter syndrome because I had to give a talk on imposter syndrome. And of course, I get the phone call and I'm like, are you kidding me? Me? What the hell do I know about success and, you know, where I am? I mean, but it was hilarious. I absolutely did exactly what they wanted me to talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, I gave this talk at clinical anatomy in person. And during, during the year of hell, um, which I just, when I thought 2020 was going to be peachy, it was 2019. That was bad. Oh God, 2020. <laughs> but I, I sat in the crowd. I sat in this huge crowd of all my peers of all a bunch of clinical anatomy and doctors and stuff. And I started the talk from there. And I remember I used, I was, I don't even know if I was mic'd. I think I just talked loud and I said, and I recapped the entire phone conversation like what me? Why would, why would I give a talk on imposter syndrome? Mm -hmm. And then by the time I had built up enough courage and talked myself through it, that's when I finally got to the podium. And I stood there and I said, that is imposter syndrome. I suffer from imposter syndrome. And this is how we're going to get through it. You know, (laughs) And, and when I started drawing that wheel out and talking to people about the wheel, it literally could be a hard stop. (laughs) As long as you feel what success feels like. And if that means putting on your favorite song and okay, Justin Timberlake can't stop the feeling and you jam (laughs) out to that because you got a really good TBL score then do that, you know, like you have to stop or the wheel just keeps going. So that's how I did it. Things that look silly now 
Uh-uh, I had a dance party with myself, like almost. Yes. <laughs> we support. Dance party with Dr. Pratt. Yes. <laughs> Start it. We're going to do a Zoom dance party. Yes, honestly. <laughs> that would be great. Somebody just jams the music really loud so we can all hear it through our computers. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely love that. That is your power, Dr. Pratt. And I am also very emotional and eclectic. I've been told I'm too much for people. Oh, yes, I love that. I love, we love that word or that statement. But yeah, I think that there's so much power in, in the way that you were describing your talk. I got chills, you got yeah. chills. I think that the power was in the vulnerability. Because I think there's this natural power dynamic of when you're being talked to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this person knows everything and they're going to now tell me. And it's right. like, no, it's a dialogue. It's like this yeah. back and forth that actually gets you, like allows for growth in both parties. And it's not just being like, oh, just because I'm on the stage, I don't suffer from these things or experience these things. And I think people yeah. connect with you more when you're like that. I was working for a nonprofit before medical school with high school students. And, and I was so anxious all the time. I was applying to medical school. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel brilliant. I didn't feel competent. And I was working with these incredible like life coaches and therapists and things like that as like my co-facilitator. And I was closer in age to these high school students. And rather than like put up this front with them, I would just meet them where they were and be like, we're going to do this together. I'm going to do these I am statements with you. And I felt like I gained so much from that experience. And I Mm -hmm. feel like I connected so much with the kids because nobody wants to hear somebody on this pedestal. You connect with people in those vulnerable states. And I think that that is what is so powerful about you and what has connected us to you mm-hmm. is that we can see the cracks in the armor. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I guess when you go back and ask studying plants, studying marine biology, and then like sort of moving on to humans, like where do you see the connection of it all? Like, how do you, how does it make you feel? Do you like one or the other more? I don't know. I just, like, what is your connection to nature? I've- yeah. I think that, to me, it's it's such an art form. If I mm-hmm. could go back and choose a totally different discipline, I think I'd be an art historian. Like I I love wow. art. Um, I I love the intricacies and the detail, you know. And I love birding. I I I'm I'm like a little like ornithologist in training. <laughs> yeah. Again, something else. My mom was like, "What bird is that?" And I would be like, "Oh." that's the tufted titmouse. And, you know, I'd be able to identify it and be able to identify its call. And, you know, I mean, that was just sort of what I grew up being able to do. So I think that a lot of my love for nature is just the intricacy of the lines and the color. I mean, Mm -hmm. I am literally someone that can stare at water for hours. I love feeling that there's something bigger than me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm such a big picture thinker, but I love being embraced in something where I don't feel like I'm the epicenter. I know everything's shut down right now, but like, mm-hmm. where would be the first place on your list if you could go anywhere? See, there's so many places I just don't know anything about, you know, yeah. I mean, places I want to travel. Like last year, I was going to travel to South Africa and see a friend of mine that I had met. Hi. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I'm going to go to Cape Town and I'm going to do the entire, like rent a car mm-hmm. and do the travel. Was it the the one or whatever they call it, which is the road to Cape Town. But, um, you know, that trip fell through, but I would still like to go back there. I feel like South Africa would be pretty amazing. I've been to the Paraguay, Uruguay, Brazilian and Argentinian borders to go to Iguazu Falls, one of the Mm. seven new wonders of the world. And you stand there and 
Like you could fit 5,000 Niagara Falls in this waterfall. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm getting goosebumps because you're just- I like, am too. I haven't even experienced it and I'm just getting goosebumps. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like I am nothing, but yet I am so aware of everything. When you're feeling the mist on you, you're, you're feeling the boardwalk shake, you're, you're hearing thousands of different languages being spoken. A butterfly lands on you because you're sweating and it wants your salt. And you're just standing there like butterfly, waterfall. I am yeah. so present right now. Exactly. So maybe that's what it is about nature is it pulls yeah. me away from the crap yeah. that I feel like the rest of the world wants me to focus on and says, yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Get the sand in your toes while you're standing in sleeping or sand dunes, you know, sit on the yeah. ice and stare and be present. Mm-hmm. It's like movement and stillness at the same time. Yeah. It's like a weird dynamic of just feeling so alive so I don't know. I, I guess there's tons of great places. I'm, I'm being uh, blessed with my friendship with Dr. Taryn Cotty because mm-hmm. she says, can't wait to take you to India. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm going to go to India. This is going to be amazing. So, but yeah, so India would be amazing to go with her and to go with someone. You know, I think that, that really makes the short. experience, like having a local or somebody yeah. who knows the area, who knows the culture to like give you the authentic experience. Yeah. I mean, that was what was so beautiful about going to Jordan for two weeks was, you know, to go and experience the Middle East. I flew up by myself, but had a friend there and it was like, okay, you know, the, the markets to go to and you know, what's going to be cool. And you have friends already that are going to, we're going to meet when we go to the Red Sea and they're going to take us diving. Yes. (laughs) I'm about it. It just, I'll tell you diving in the Red Sea again. (laughs) We we went diving in the Red Sea. We have to tell you the funniest story, Dr. I'm going to die. So Egypt borders the other side of the Red Sea across from Jordan. So we did this trip between the summer of our first and second year. We were like, forget studying, research, forget like anything. We're We're just just going to travel. And so it was just me and her and we did all of these places. And then we were like, you know what? I have family back in Egypt. So I was like, let's just circle back to Egypt. She's never been to Egypt. Mm-hmm. She was interested. And my brother and my cousin are down in the Red Sea. Maida doesn't swim. She's terrified nope. of water, does yeah, not know how anything. to swim. Oh. And so naturally <laughs> we were like, we're going to go dive in the Red Sea. And we just like threw her in. We were like, it's fine. You'll no, go. We, we literally landed. I didn't have my suitcase because it got left on the plane. I don't have clothes. I don't have anything. That's and okay. her brother's like, tomorrow we're diving. And I'm like, I don't know how to swim. He's like, you'll be fine. We're just going to go. And I'm like, okay. We'll be fine. You're going to be yeah, submerged yeah. underwater with animals that can eat you. Okay. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. But great experience. Great, yeah, yeah. It was. Exactly what it you're was. I like, he, like the, um, her cousin who, who dives, I guess, like went down with us. And so we were in completely alone which made me feel better but yeah I like kind of had a mini panic attack on the second dive that we did because we did two um I was like take me up take me up but then he's like I can't take you up fast so we gotta go slow and I'm like uh but that's something beautiful about being being down and this is gonna be really deep but I feel like with diving the moment you want to panic and the moment you want to just like go to the surface, yeah. you know that you can't. And it forces you to sit in your to discomfort, be, yeah. gets you to a point where you are present and you are centering mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. because it, it quite literally is life or death. And that is I think that point. that's so beautiful. Yeah. So I'm, really, I'm really proud of you. And I'm happy that you got to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah I saw my first seahorse. Ah. And I just, he was all chilling. He was a pretty good size one. And he just was like, Hey, I was like, Hey, 
I just sort of sat there and I just, I wanted to watch him the whole time, you know? Yeah. And of course, um, Abdullah was with me and he's the dive master because he was pretty much holding my hand so that mm -hmm. I didn't have to watch all my gauges, just like you had, you know, somebody yeah. there to watch yeah. your gauge for you so mm -hmm. that you could just explore and enjoy yeah. all the awesomeness that was going on. So, I mean, he was there with me and sort of taking my hand around and, and wanted to show me. And I'm like, no, I just want to watch the seahorse. <laughs> just want to be with the seahorse right now you know and he's like let's yeah. go look at this let's go over here let's go yeah. behind this boulder and I'm like <laughs> yeah so but yeah we went a couple times and it was incredible oh man Ugh. I feel like we could just talk to you for I forever, know but for know. sake of your time exactly we just honestly we need to catch up more though <laughs> One more question before the last two. So okay. for every episode, we like to end on Dr. Fulberg's two questions. But before we do that, I just, I want to wrap up with a positive question mm -hmm. because I feel like we've kind of talked a lot about your own journey and I just kind of want to leave on this one. What are you most proud of currently? Um, wow. I could be really superficial and be like, um, I turned in my pretest for MSK already. It can be whatever. Yeah, you it could be. I'm proud that. Yeah, I am proud that I am getting ready to deliver the third reiteration of MSK, and I have been working on this since October. That is like that. massive. It is, and we're really excited for you. I think you've put in so many hours into it, and I'm. I hope that it all goes smoothly this year. So yeah, I guess the the two questions that we want to end on are um, the first one we'll ask is, what do you want to do? I know Dr. Folberg asked this of us. It could be something big, something personal, something professional, but what, what do you want to do? I want to continue on a journey that really allows me to build this amazing mosaic so that people like you guys that I meet along my path and my journey, wherever that goes, that I am lucky enough to have little pieces of the individuals that, you know, sort of touch my heart that I get to have a little morsel so that 20 years from now, when you guys are gone and doing amazing things, I look back at this awesome stained glass mosaic and they're all different colors of all these different people in all these different places. And, and I can just close my eyes and, and just see colorful mosaic. That's, that's what I want to do. I think that is so beautiful. <laughs> And so well put, I think you, you have such a way with words and like being able to express your emotion and evoke that emotion in other people. I think mm -hmm. that's amazing. And I guess we want to end on the, our last question is mm -hmm. who do you want to be? I want to be the honest to goodness, real Rebecca Pratt. Oh, I feel like that's so fitting for everything that you've gone through and everything that you are working towards. Oh. We're so yeah. I think I think I'm at a loss of words because of how like full of emotion yeah. I am. I'm like I don't even know how to contain all of this because it has just been a truly spectacular experience talking to you, and it's been such a, a fulfilling experience to like hear you share your story and share your struggle, and then also know that there's so much ahead of you, and there's mm -hmm. so much ahead of us, and there's mm -hmm. we're all worthy of it. We're all worthy of the experiences. And Absolutely. so thank you so much for joining us and being yeah. a part of this. And this is exactly why we're doing this project. Mm -hmm. yeah. and so, Well, obviously it's a reflection on where you guys are in your journey that I can be somewhat of a stranger and have this just emotional outpouring because I'm just drawn to you guys, you know, and I'm drawn to what makes you... Yeah 
want your journey to, to feel like you bump into someone and you have this amazing emotional experience and you know that it's not going to be completely gone again because we'll cross again. Exactly. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool.